so many of these firms and just firms in general, they want to give the appearance of being mm. um, so progressive Matt. and of mm-hmm. being so minority founder friendly and they'll start programs and they'll mentor founders or they'll offer to advise your startup, but they won't write the check. Hello, and welcome to Wind Down, Build Up, the podcast that's giving you the tea and the tools to succeed in business. I'm Tabitha Solomon. And I'm KJ Miller. Today on the show, we are calling out all the many, many things we are leaving behind in the year 2020 because it is 2021. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Leave the bullshit in the past. The rear view mirror. Absolutely. And there really was just so much bullshit in 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So, yes, I'm excited to dive in and talk about all the things we won't be bringing into this year. But before we dive in, we do want to encourage you guys to pause right now. Follow us if you're listening on Spotify and leave us a five-star review. If you're listening on Apple, it's a great and free way to show us support. Okay, we're back. And for the tea this week, I thought, I don't know if you saw this article, Tabitha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it is tea to the max. There is an article out there um, on startupill.com. Uh, and the article is titled, The Top 25 Silicon Valley VCs Least Likely to Invest in Founders of Color. Woo! Oh, that's spicy. Ooh, yes. That's spicy. Yes. <laughs> that is okay. And they have done the research. Okay. Mm-hmm. This isn't just like somebody wrote a little blog because they were pissed off at these. Right. VCs. No, they have the actual research because what a team of people did, and actually, um, I I participated in this, I think, um, basically was they put together, they they had founders of color, particularly black founders self-report and put together the black founders list um, and self-report who was investing in them and how much they invested, so on and so forth. And hundreds and hundreds of people filled this out. And Mm -hmm. based on that data, they were able to say like, okay, these are definitively the VCs doing the worst job Mm -hmm. of investing in founders of color. So they put together this list of 25. And when I tell you, I mean, this list shot around the black community, <laughs> the black founder community with a quickness, because I think what what I certainly felt, and I think a lot of people that I spoke to felt was like, there were so many people on this list who I've pitched to mm-hmm. and who said no to us. And it honestly just felt kind of gratifying, like, oh, okay, it's not me, it's Mm -hmm. you, right? Mm -hmm. It's not me, it's you. You're the one with the issue here. You're the one who has invested, you know, $14 billion over the course of your fund or $200 million over the course of your fund and only one of those investments had a Black founder. That means you have the problem, not me. Right, absolutely. And something else that comes to mind is just like how stark, the numbers really, really is. So uh, for those who don't know, only 1% 
of venture capital dollars go to black founders? 1%. So if there's 100 founders in a room, only one of them is going to be black. And then if you look at black female founders, it is 0.0006%. I mean, that's a, a speck. So what you're saying, it's like a quarter of a black person in that 100 person room, right? Like mm-hmm. the numbers are so dismal when you when you look at this. And for me, I start to wonder, like, why is this a case? Because on the other end of the spectrum, black women are the fastest group of uh, a growing group of entrepreneurs in this country. So there's not like a lack of ideas, innovation and brilliance happening. But there's clearly a disconnect between those who are writing the checks and those who are like really driving like a lot of the innovation in the ecosystem right now. Yeah. And, you know, I think some of these numbers, because they, I mean, they break it down out here in this little article. So again, startuppill.com. And I thought it was startup ill, but it's pill. Pill. Only one I didn't want to call you out. But... <laughs> <laughs> you see, now this is what happens when you pick a name that's spelled confusingly. Okay. But startup pill, but only one P um, dot com. What they do is they break down the total number of investments that a firm has made and how many of those investments um, have gone to black founders. And then they further break out how many of those investments have gone to black women mm-hmm. so like for instance now I'm, not, I'm, I'm just I'm just pulling this out as a for instance I'm not hating on this per, particular firm here but the first firm on the list is Accel um, formerly known as Accel Partners and they've made 1,432 investments two of them have gone to black founders uh, which is zero percent it's like 0.012 or something and zero have gone to black women founders. Mm. In 1,432 investments, not a single one being founded by a black woman. Like that is insane, particularly when you think about, like you said, we're the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs out there. Mm -hmm. So I know plenty of black women pitch to you, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, and again, it's not so much about a sell. I don't know anybody there. I've never pitched to them. It's more about the numbers. And when you really look at it this starkly and it's in your face like this, you cannot deny you have a bias problem and it's something that you need to work on. That's absolutely right. I mean, when you're saying those numbers out loud and I'm reading these numbers, I can't help but shake my head and be embarrassed for these firms. You know, you almost have to go out of your way not to write a check to a Black person when you look at these numbers. There's so much talent so much talent and growth and innovation. I'm like, you have to actually not be looking for us for these to be the number. And they should be ashamed of themselves. Um, and I think one of the biggest problems is because the people writing the checks are often middle-aged, wealthy white men. And so they're writing checks for companies that solve their specific problems. Oh, like I need my version of like a tech Viagra. I have no idea what their problem is, but like that's what they want to invest in versus you know like a woman you know working on like things for you know body shapes mm-hmm, issues mm-hmm. or mental health or wellness and things of these categories that they just don't connect with but they're massive markets and there's lack of innovation women are usually the ones who are trendsetters especially black women when it comes to a lot of these like rapidly growing categories so i think one of the biggest solutions that we need to see is more black people writing the checks 
like we need more black investors at these firms. So when I looked at this list, one one company I was really sad to see here was Besterman Venture Partners. But there is a, a VC, you might know him. He's a good friend of mine, Elliot Robinson. Um, and he is a partner, like one of the first black male partners at one of these top venture capital funds. And he's like, look, like there's talent out here. We haven't been looking for them that are in the pool for people of color. So now that he has a you know seat at the table, he is literally bringing us in and making sure that you know we're just not dismissed as we walk in the door. You know, and we need more people at the table who look like him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I completely agree, and I also think like you know thinking about things we're leaving behind in 2020. So many of these firms and just firms in general they want to give the appearance of being Mm. um, so progressive and of Mm -hmm. being so minority founder friendly and they'll start programs and they'll mentor founders or they'll offer to advise your startup, but they won't write the check. Mm. And to me, I'm leaving that shit behind in 2020. Okay. Like I have, I know smart people. I have plenty of advice that I am, that's accessible to me. So Mm -hmm. if I'm coming to you as a VC, I'm coming for the check. So that's that's some bullshit I'm leaving behind in 2020. Yeah. And and another another thing I want to say about this is just like the bar for a white man versus a bar for a black woman is so drastically different. And I'll just give you one example that comes to mind. So I was having a conversation. It was like a a group of us um, with one of the co-founders of Allbirds, um, Joey. And, and he mentioned that uh, when he was working on his shoe, it's, you know, made out of wool from Australia. It was just a prototype. He's walking down the streets of New York, going to VC firm to VC firm first day, right? The fact that all these people took his meeting. Um, and he goes and he's like, this is a shoe. This is my vision. This is the company I want to make. Have you sold anything? No. Do you have a website? No. But I have a really cool idea. And guess what? he was able to secure $2 million in funding. So now that he has a like a, a, a humongous brand, I think they might've, uh, I don't know if they hit the billion dollar mark. I know they have, I think they hit the billion dollar valuation. Like he had a $2 million investment to figure it out. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, that's a cool idea. Smart guy. I like him. He's a white Jewish guy. I'm a white Jewish guy. Well, you know, we're cool. Let's do this, you know? And allow me to walk in a room let's be real and I, I want to say I'm coming from a place of privilege because I'm part of that 0.0006% of black women who is VC backed but you know like I know how many rooms I had to go into for that to, to happen and when I go in a room it's like do you have your website yes do you have revenue yes hmm you know like do you have a community of 20,000 followers on on Instagram yes I still think I'm going to pass, you know, like, like (laughs) the fuck? (laughs) It is. It's such a different bar. And that's the thing when I say you need to confront your biases and confront your prejudices. That's exactly what I mean, because you don't get to the point where you've invested in 1,432 companies, but only, but only two of them had black founders. You don't get to that point by, uh, you know, being an equal opportunity player. I'm sorry, but you don't. You are absolutely giving the Joeys of the world more consideration than you are the, you know, 
Keishas and Tabithas of the world. That's right. And that That's right. is problematic and something that we are, I hope, leaving behind in 2020 because yes. it is just, you know, it is bullshit is what it is. That, yes. Now, one thing I'll say, because I, I don't want to leave on a note um, of trashing Joe, because I actually think he's an outstanding guy. And his family, actually, funny enough, you know, like a lot of Jewish people, they like stood with us during the civil rights movement. His parents were uh, teachers in African-American studies at Berkeley. And he knows there's a problem. And so he actually is making differences. So he's writing checks for black people. He is actually creating programs to kind of help with that gap in funding. So he's not just talking about it. He's putting his money where his mouth is. So I think Joe is an outstanding guy, but it's just a, a great example of like how the standards are so different. We're leaving that behind. We're leaving it behind. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and get into the tools. So for the tools this week, we're just going to talk through again, some of the things that, you know, either crept up in 2020 or that really became themes in 2020 um, and things that we just want to leave behind. We are starting fresh. It's a new year, new me, new look, new do. And <laughs> we just, we want to leave the bullshit behind. So one thing for me that I am absolutely leaving in 2020, I think all of us had to, to a certain extent, but I'm happy to just leave it all the way there is being chained to an office. Yeah, yeah. I just, one of the, I think, greatest things to come out of this pandemic, which obviously was terrible in every way, but one of the greatest Mm -hmm. things to come out of it was we all collectively learned exactly how much we can get done without having to be at the office every day. And I've seen companies come out and say, like they've already started stating, this is the date when all of our employees will be back at the office. And I just think Mm -hmm. one, that's completely premature. We're vaccinating like a million people a week. So at this rate, we need four years to vaccinate everybody. Um, So y'all actually don't know anything about anything, but two, like, (laughs) why would you be so quick to say like a date for when you want to go back to what you were doing, if what you're doing now works? Right. It's like, and I'm just, I'm leaving that in 2020. Amanda and I, we haven't set any sort of dates. We haven't even made a plan for what our next office will look like. We haven't even made a plan if there will be a next office, like really and truly we are giving ourselves maximum flexibility around this topic because we want to do what's right for our team. We want to do what's right for us. Um, And we just don't want to be caught up in doing something just because that's the way it was always done. That's right. That's right. I think a lot of corporations, they'll argue, well, we need to have people in person. So, you know, the face-to-face meetings or for collaboration and cooperation or team building. But when you look at it from a business perspective, outside of just those soft things, like we've been making it work over the last, you know, year. Also, we've seen a decrease in our expenditures, you know, and overhead from rent. And three, it's provided a lot of satisfaction for a number of employees that are seeing more flexibility, Mm -hmm. right? So if they want to, you know, step out for an hour and take their kid to the park at 3 p.m., they can. And they never could do that before. Um, And so I'm seeing a lot of satisfaction. And as a matter of fact, PwC um, recently published a report um, where there is a number of executives that are on board. So the rest of you guys who are on board need to get there. But 55% of executives right now said that they plan to allow their workforce to work from home for one day a week or more. And I think that's really a good start in the right direction because to your point, 
a lot of times when people are advocating for this in uh, big or small companies, there was always this concern, like, will people slack off? Will work get done? Like, mm-hmm. can this actually work? And the answer is yes. We now know that, yes, it can and does get done, um, you know, even at a high level. So I'm with you. Like, bye, Keisha. We don't need to have an office. Like, right. let's cut that expense. <laughs> <laughs> completely, completely agree. All right. What about you? Well, what are you leaving behind in 2020? Okay. So I don't know if this is possible, but I have been thinking a lot about why do we need a five-day work week? Mm. <laughs> I just, you know, I feel like, actually, it's not on feel. I've been reading a lot about this. And when the five-day work week was invented, it was during the Industrial Revolution where it was an exchange of time for service. So 40 hours a week, you get paid an hourly wage, and that made a livable wage, right? And then it's like, okay, but then we transition to the technology age. And, like, you know, as we were transitioning, there's a lot of paperwork that had to take place. And so that was time-consuming, usually about a quarter of your time. But all that stuff is done really quickly now, right? We're not doing paperwork. We just like submit everything electronically, whether it's our receipts or our spreadsheets or doing our calculations. We're not doing anything manually. Like, why do we need to work five days a week? And why do we have to work this minimum of 40 hours a week when efficiency is now in place? And I would argue that employee satisfaction goes up and so does productivity. So um, there's been a lot of trialing of this concept of four-day work weeks in Japan um, and other countries around the world, New Zealand, Australia, even in Britain. And Japan was on the forefront of this. And uh, you know what? Productivity went up by 40% in the country when they cut back to four-hour, four-day work week. Mm. So I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I wish we could leave that behind in 2020, but I think it might be something that takes a couple more years as a as a society before we were fully able to embrace this concept. But by golly, I would love it if we could leave that in 2020. Well, you know what? I think that's such a good point. And one thing I will say is I think as founders, that is a decision we can make for our employees and for anyone listening who's a founder, that's a decision you can make for your employees. But I think the broader point, similar to having flexibility around being in person I think having flexibility around like what you define as the work week makes a lot of sense, you know, like, I just think now is the time to rethink like what you need from people and when, um, and rethink how work has to get done. Because at the end of the day, what you care about or what you should care about, like is, is the work getting done? And if it's getting done Monday through Wednesday, like everything that needs to get done gets done Monday through Wednesday. And my employee is off Thursday and Friday, but nothing is, no balls are being dropped. You know what I mean? Like, that's right. I just think now's the time to rethink and not put ourselves back in the boxes we lived in for so long. That's exactly right. And I know that's a very controversial one because I think as founders, we're trained, you should be working 80 to 100 hours a week. And you need to do whatever it takes and push the envelope to get results. But I would argue like, results are results. So if I'm able to get results in four days, why do I need to work six or seven days for those same results, you know? And I don't know about you, but 
every time I come back to work on Monday, I'm so refreshed. And that's always the most productive day of the week. And it's because I've allowed myself space to do other things that I'm passionate about and recharge. And so I can be a better leader, you know, for my team and uh, also just a better, you know, businesswoman in general. So I just think a lot about like, what if we had more time to refresh? How much stronger of an employee uh, workforce could could we really build? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the next thing I will say that I want to leave in 2020 um, is this idea that just because we're all working remotely, that we are available 100% of the time. And Mm -hmm. I think this ties very neatly into what you were just saying. I think there has been kind of this assumption, and we talked about this on an earlier episode, it it doesn't feel like we're working from home. It feels like we're living at work. Because all of a sudden, you know, we're working all the time. And I think people have come to expect, and and I haven't experienced this as much because I I really do try to be flexible with my employees, but it's something I've watched um, with my husband, something I've watched with a lot of my friends who work in bigger corporations, like literally their schedules will be packed from like 8 a.m. to like 7 p.m. with calls. Wow. You know, when in the real world, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't put meetings on someone's calendar in in an office setting from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. But the assumption is like, oh, at eight o'clock, even if you wake up at 7.55, you can still hop on a conference call, you know? And it's like, no, I need time to refresh, (laughs) like drink some coffee, be a person in the world. I want to take a lunch break. I want to, you know, like whatever. Absolutely. Brush my teeth. I just feel like (laughs) a lot of companies and I've seen it happen to so many friends. Like there's just no respect for any sort of time boundaries because the expectation is like, you're always available. And I think we, mm-hmm. we've got to leave that in 2020. Yep. I'm here for that. Leaving it behind. Okay. So this next one, <laughs> I, I'm very happy to leave this in 2020 is this idea that everyone wanted to put on a virtual conference and have educational panels, but that, really didn't help anyone yeah you know Mm -hmm. they essentially had people coming in talking fluff weren't experts talking too high level wasn't actionable but they were able to check off the box that we did a panel right you know so um I don't know about you but have you spent any time on I know you're on clubhouse but have you spent any time on clubhouse so girl look now you invited me to club (laughs) you invited me to clubhouse so I have downloaded it and I have tried to participate but I must be in the wrong clubhouses okay in the wrong rooms (laughs) because when I scroll through it is so many conversations that I don't care about at all. Like not even a little bit. I'm not even interested. I'm like, what? It just seems like so much nonsense. And like, I don't know. <laughs> I got to find my way to the right room somehow because okay. it's not for me right now. Okay. So there are some rooms that actually have heavy hitters who actually take time to answer your questions. Um, there's panels with like, actual marketing experts from people who built like eight, nine, 10 figure businesses. Um, you can raise your hand and ask them a question directly and listen in as they answer. Uh, there's panels with like big, like entrepreneurial names, like Gary V or Grant uh, Cardone or Supa Scent. Like all these people are on there just dropping, you know, answers. But how do you find questions. those panels? Like what do you do? So- <laughs> 
So anyone who's listening, uh, if you're on Clubhouse in the settings, you want to go to the interest section. And in the interest section, you type in, uh, you, you just filter for the things you're actually interested in. So for me, I do direct to consumer. I do marketing. I do economics, stock markets, and a few other things that I'm really passionate about. Uh, and so I actually don't get the riffraff because in the beginning, um, I was getting stuff like rappers talking yes. about rappers, <laughs> wannabe rappers. <laughs> I'm like so many Monday mo- motivations. I don't need all this Monday motivation. I'm, I'm just like, what is this app? And if you're a listener and you are not on Clubhouse, I actually have a couple of invites this week, I guess, because I'm an active member on there. And so they, they shot me over some new invites. So just send me uh, a message, DM me on Instagram um, slash Tabitha Solomon, um, and I'll hook you up. But yeah, like if you filter for the right things, there's people who are like dropping real knowledge. And then once you find those groups, all you have to do is follow them and get notifications. So you know that they're a trusted source of information. Now I'll tell you, there's also some garbage on there. So, you know, don't waste your time going to those panels. But I'll tell you, like I'm in some stock uh, uh, panels and they are like dropping. You're like, yep, this one guy I follow. This number is going to sound crazy, but he had a return of 100 thousand percent last year from options trading so yeah yeah so you want to learn from someone like that i don't know if you understand what that number even means but like for him he's like yeah on an off day i actually lost 18 million dollars you know like that kind of (laughs) like so you can learn a thing or two from that guy but yeah so you know where i'm going with this is clubhouse is known for panels and you can find some good ones and there's some garbage ones. But what I'm leaving behind is the garbage ones. And I'm going to focus on trying to find the community of people who's going to bring the most value. I'm completely with you there. There were so many panels and workshops and virtual conferences and everything else in 2020. And to me, it's like, I'm not anti-panel by any means. We actually minted is celebrating Black women all January And we have some really amazing panels planned with some really amazing black female founders and, you know, people from different industries, but the whole point, and I pushed my team so hard on this when they were coming up with the panel ideas, when they were coming up with the panel lists, the the questions, everything. I was like, look, these panels have to be entertaining and they have to Mm -hmm. be helpful. I don't want to just ask these these guys the questions they get asked by everybody else. I don't want this to be fluff. I don't want it to be surface level because if it's going to be all that, um, we don't need to do it. I don't want to waste people's time because a lot of the people coming are like friends, like people that I know well, and I don't want to waste their time. And so I'm not anti-panel, but I am very much (laughs) anti-useless panel and there were so many useless panels in 2020 and I think we just we all got to hold hands and just say to each other we're leaving it behind okay (laughs) I I know how tempting it is to plan a panel and to get all these people to come and to get to put it on your Instagram look at me I did this thing but if it's not helping anybody leave it behind amen Okay, well, I like that one. I will say another thing, and we sort of touched on this during the tea, that I'm super happy to leave in 2020 is performative social activism. Mm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously with all of the social unrest 
that we saw in 2020. We had corporations rushing to be the voice of a generation and, and show how diverse they were <laughs> and how supportive they are of the Black community and, you know, this, that, and the third. But what I want to see is, are you putting your money where your mouth is? And that's mm-hmm. across the board. So like we said with VCs, I don't want to see that you've announced some mentorship program. If you want to mentor, great mentor. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with mentorship, but if you're not writing checks, I don't, yes. I don't care about your little mentorship program. Same with like retailers. There are retailers who came out and talked about supporting black owned businesses. And then there were retailers who actually came to those black owned businesses and wrote checks. Okay. Mm-hmm. And who mm-hmm. put the product in shelf on like in store on shelf. That's right. At the end of the day, like put your money where your mouth is. If you're a business and you're out here talking about supporting black people, how are you putting money in black pockets? And if you're not doing that, then you're not doing nothing as far as I'm concerned. 100% agree. And that's why I really appreciate the initiative and the companies who join forces with communities like 15% pledge or pull up and sh- or shut up because these communities are created to essentially hold people accountable, you know, and these organizations are saying, you know what, instead of talking about it, I'm about to be about it. And I commit, I'm committing to have my shelves reflect the community of you know or reflect the united states was like black people make up 15 percent of our population so we're gonna have at least 15 percent of our products uh be from black owned businesses so i really appreciate those companies because you know like essentially they're again what like you're saying they're putting their money where their mouth is and they're investing uh not only investing but they're investing they're supporting they're putting money in pockets for from black for black owned businesses i want to see more of that in 2021 and to your point i want to see the performative bullshit left in 2020 yep 100 percent. leave it behind <laughs> leave it behind <sighs> okay what anything else for you you're leaving in 2020 you know maybe because people were like oh we're not in person so we need to have more meetings to be and you know to feel connected um and so people would show up to these meetings like, okay so what do you want to talk about like oh it's just a catch-up meeting what are we catching up on? Like, oh, you know, like progress that was done. I'm like, what, like, what's the agenda for this meeting? Is there something specific that you would like to talk about? You know, like without an agenda, like, please don't put time on my calendar. And so, you know, waste of time meetings without clear agendas need to be left in 2020. 100%. And you know what else? Now this might be controversial, but um, a lot of founders in the various groups that I'm a part of spent a lot of time talking about like um, virtual retreats. Like, because usually uh, we, we usually do a retreat. Actually, it's usually the weekend after MLK weekend. So it would have been this this month. And mm-hmm. we usually take our whole team like skiing or, or whatever. And it's a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, a lot of companies do this. So I saw companies having and founders having conversations about like, how do we do a virtual retreat? And I am just so skeptical, <laughs> so skeptical that there's anything that I could make my team do for multiple hours, all staring at a screen where they wouldn't feel like I could have like spent this time doing something I actually enjoy. You know, like if if I take my whole team to a lodge and we all go skiing, even if you don't ski, 
everyone gets to bring a plus one there's drinks there's good food you know like you actually get to relax and have like time to just chill and it's free right because everything's paid for by the company Mm -hmm. just sitting in front of a screen like to me that feels like kind of waste of time kind of like I want to be able to say I'm giving my employees Mm -hmm. this thing but in reality I'm just taking up more of their time where they have to be on a screen yeah and so it's just like it's sort of what you're saying about like waste of time no agenda I just to me like if I'm having a meeting with you face to face it is because there's something we need to get done Mm-hmm. otherwise I'm sure you can come up with better things to do uh, you know with your own time I 100% agree with you and you know what's funny is we actually had a company uh, reach out to us who asked us and it was like a fortune I think a hundred, fortune 100 company to do like an experience for their team uh, and so I was like okay like you know at Dash Camp we're always innovating and trying to figure out essentially like how do we provide value to customers so you know like Sure, we're happy to do it. We, we, you know, are specialized in virtual experiences. But one thing I was explaining to her, you know, she wanted those multi-hour things. Like, we've done enough research to know that the, the max capacity for a, adult or child to be on a virtual screen is an hour to an hour and a half. Beyond that, like, there's just diminishing return. People get exhausted and they just zone out, mm-hmm. you know. Um, during the summer, when there was nothing else going on, you could do two hours and that works well. But beyond that, you saw diminishing returns. But now when people have a ton of other things going on, you have a, you have a cap of one to an hour to an hour and a half. And what we also found is like, it's really hard to get people. Cause like in a virtual retreat or excuse me, in an in-person retreat, you would have small groups of people who like bounce around from circle to circle and talk and connect. But you, it's hard to do that unless you're doing the breakout rooms, which often feels very forced in my opinion. And so that means that you're left with the Option of doing group activities now that could be done well right um like for instance we did things like a magic show for a client we've done like personalized game shows for clients where we got like a whole bunch of inside jokes for like the team that they were surprised by like oh what team member loves a lot of butter in their oatmeal and they're like how do you know that you know? <laughs> so we did things like that and that was a huge hit but we had to tell these clients like We've done our research and anyone who's a founder who's trying to do like a half day or a full day virtual retreat, it doesn't work. I specialize in this. It does not work. But an hour to an hour and a half, you could probably do a group activity that's memorable and still allows your team to bond in some way. So just a little pro tip there. Yeah, 100%. Hour long, y'all all all make your little pizza kits or whatever it is. That's right. Exactly. I'm with it. But Mm y'all trying to have a a retreat from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m.? No. Don't do it. Don't do it. Leave that idea in 2020. Leave it behind. (laughs) Yes. Amen. All right. Well, look, we've touched on all sorts of things that I think should and hopefully will be left behind in 2020. I'm sure our listeners have their own list, but I think at the end of the day, it's just about taking some time to really reflect on what served you, what was helpful to you, what served your team, what's going to make you better and leaving the rest of it behind. Absolutely. And if we missed something that should have been left behind in 2020, shoot us a message. I'm Tabitha underscore Solomon and Instagram and KJ that KJ Miller. 
we'll love to hear from you. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of other things that need to get left behind and we need to shout that out from the rooftop so we're off to an amazing start for 2021. Absolutely. And that's it for this week, guys. And as we said at the top, if you're loving the show, stop right now, subscribe, or give us a five-star rating and tell a friend. Hey, and if you have a topic that you would love for us to dive into, or if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, simply send us an email at windownbuildup at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.